place in Amos. Great to be with y'all this morning. I know this is a week of familiars, maybe uh, your mother's stuffing uh, on my wife's side, and I know Amos is not the familiar place. Uh, that's maybe a little bit unusual. If uh, you want to blame anybody, I'm going to let you blame James. He, When he preached, um, he just continues right where he was. Uh, even though it may have been a little while since he preached that, and I look up to James. So I thought, you know, uh, when John, uh, he typically brings a word for us, I thought I'm going to be like uh, James, a guy I really look up to, and just continue on with Amos. So that's why we're here. Um, I'll also be mindful of James. Uh, last time I taught on a Wednesday night, we got in the car as a family, and Evan, uh, he, he's always wanted to tell me the truth and he said uh dad you went you went really long that was long and I tried to immediately be spiritual Evan I mean are you listening I mean are you are you just waiting for this to be done because if you will think about what we're you know talking about the time will not only go faster but you may learn something you know so I was really trying to be spiritual with my son and I think I came to the church like the week or so after and James said you did a good job Ben but (laughs) It went kind of long, so, <laughs> so I'll try not to go uh, too long. Uh, we are in Amos. Uh, by the way, men, come on out next Monday. Monday week, December 4th, as Ray announced. Uh, I think the women, y'all may be doing something spiritual. Men, we're going to eat. So even if you haven't told me, show up, bring your son, uh, and just show up. There's a private room there, so um, I hope you will come and be with us 6 o'clock there. And ladies, y'all will meet the following week. So um, would you stand and let's just pray corporately before we continue reading from Amos. Lord, as we open your word, we do not need man's cleverness. We do not need novelty. Lord, I pray we would seek to do this morning what we were implored to do last Sunday and what we seek to only do as your people and as a church, which is to hear from you this morning, to hear from your word. So we ask you confidently in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do this for our good, for your glory. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I'm going to continue to go with Amos. I'm going to be picking up in verse 11, and I'm going to read through 4-5. Amos 4-11. Therefore, thus thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed hear and testify against the house of Jacob declares the Lord God the God of hosts that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions I will punish the altars of Bethel 
and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel. The people of Israel declares the Lord God. I am going to have to use my water here. I'm not totally weak, maybe, but I have a little bit of that cold that's going around. So I told you I preached from Amos some time ago, maybe a year ago, and you may not remember it. The essence of Amos as it begins is that God cares and God will punish unrighteousness. And at the beginning, as Amos starts, that sounds, uh, of course, to God's people like, yes, you know, this is what they want to hear. And as Amos continues on, he begins to say, hey, this is actually a problem. It's a problem that the people of God who believe in God's judgment have such a low view of the judgment of God. And so when God shows up, uh, that was going to be a real issue for them. So even a few weeks ago where we heard a sermon from the South African missionary, God is a shepherd, Amos takes the opposite tack and says, actually, no, people of Israel, God is a lion. And when he shows up, that's a serious thing. So that's how we began in the book of Amos. And so if you wanted to say the, the first is what happens when God shows up, some commentators say the danger here is what happens when God leaves. If the initial is the problem of God, this might be called the problem is God. The problem of Israel is inherently theological. So that's what we're trying to look at this morning in Amos 3 and Amos 4. We looked as men at uh, a book where part of the point he makes is it's good. It's a good thing that we like to think about revival, but we also need to think about decline. And that's the portrait we have here, a portrait of declension. What happens here as God's people stray from God and God literally comes to oppose his people. So my aim is to accomplish that for us to get a view of the spiritual decline here. And I want us to look at six key just highlights. Here's what's happening in this passage. And then to say the problem is practical and the problem is theological. That'll be after the six. So let's just get the highlights of this uh, maybe less familiar book. One, Amos is trying to point out causality for the people of God. This is what Aaron read as it begins. The two walk together. I'm in 
3, 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den? Does a bird fall in a snare unless there's a trap for, for it? Does a trumpet blow in a city and it doesn't mean something? And again, again, the automatic refrain of the people is, yes, if that happens, it means this other thing. Yes, and yes, and yes. And so almost like when you get someone so quickly agreeing, he kind of throws in this curveball to the people of Israel, to definitely modern people today, this would be a curveball. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And that's kind of what caps off. We've been saying yes and yes and yes, and he's saying, so God is doing this. God is the problem for us, Israel. There are uh, real problems, of course, when maybe modern people who maybe claim the title of some type of uh, prophet or things, they, they can come out and say, hey, September 11th happened for this reason, or uh, I know why there's a drought in the Midwest and those people are more wicked then we are here, that's, that's an error. And we want to steer clear from saying because God is sovereign and because we know that God is in control of every molecule, that we know the mind of God behind an issue. That's, that's a mistake. And people should be far more hesitant to do that. But there is a opposite danger where we just say, you know what, God is sovereign, but you know, who knows? You know, it doesn't, there's nothing we can see of God in the, in the creation that, that's around us. There is still a sense in which that should proclaim God's hand. If we wanted to continue to jump to the end of four or the second half of four, starting in verse six, I stopped reading at five. Look at what Amos says here. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me. I withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Part of what Amos is laboring to do is actually say, do you, do you have any eyes to see that God's hand is in things? And so on the one hand, yes, may we not say, hey, I know why God flooded New Orleans. But at the same time, maybe we don't, be so quick to say, hey, who who knows why when we despise authority, chaos ensues. There is a real sense in which uh, we should be able to see problems and say, hey, I, I see a 
theological. I see a God-rooted problem in that. That is the issue. Let's not be afraid to do that. So one, causality. Two, this is very much in line with last week. God is not pleased to have a sneak attack upon his own people. You see, uh, verse 7 in chapter 3, the Lord does nothing without revealing a secret to his servants, the prophet. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, but who can prophesy again? Uh, uh, hey, Israel, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, this is, this is not, hey, do this and this will be avoided. Amos's message is, this is actually what is coming to the people of Israel, but God is not aiming to blindside his own people. God is actually very pleased. Then he is pleased now to have his word proclaimed and heard for the good of those who would hear it. Three, Amos is pointing to the wickedness of Israel. You can look throughout, maybe especially as you get to the end of chapter 3, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. And then he goes on to describe the women of Israel as overweight cows. Amos uh, is uh, unique in his language. They oppress the poor. They crush the needy. They are gluttons and Part of the goal of Amos, part, part of the reason Amos has always been looked to is to say, hey, God is displeased by oppression. God is, is uh, upset with his people. Again, these are theological problems. We're going to go to that again. But let me say, the wealth, if you had Thanksgiving, I hope you prayed before you eat, and I hope you were thankful, and I hope you're Prayer was not, Lord, forgive me for having a meal with my healthy family. Or, you know, I hope it was, Lord, thank you. Lord, we are thankful, as Ray uh, encouraged us. We are thankful to our God. This uh, Thanksgiving is a good thing. The condemnation of wealth here is not uh, God hates you because you're rich. The condemnation is you cannot put a veneer of wealth over a rottenness of a society and say that it is good. It's, it's the, the wealth itself is not inherently bad. We live in a day that, that actually wants to say, hey, if, if you have something and other people do not, that's a form of privilege. Maybe you should feel bad about it. I would say you should actually celebrate it and you should say, hey, that's, <laughs> that's something to be thankful for. That's that's not privilege in a negative, that's a blessing. So that's, that's absolutely scriptural, but the indictment here is that is not, as the people of Israel would say, that is not an evidence of God's favor because there is a rottenness there that Amos is trying to make clear. Four, Israel is engaged in false worship. The in 13, 3.13, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, the God of hosts on that day. I will punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar shall be cut off. 
and fall to the ground. One thing that maybe is like our day, maybe not, something to consider. The people of Israel were not an, they had not become an atheistic people. They had become a falsely religious people. The kingdom had divided and there were real efforts for the uh, tribe in the north to say, we actually want to remain separate. We want to remain uh, in power. So if we encourage the worship at the temple, that's going to be a problem. There's also the introduction of idols. So what you have when you see things like Bethel and the other sites, you have idolatry and that's actually being mixed with the historic orthodox faith of the Jewish people. And so there's a mixture there. And that's not, uh, Amos is not saying, hey, you're doing half of a good thing. He's saying you've destroyed a good thing. This is a picture of pollution. This is not a, hey, you're halfway there with good intention. No, you're, you're a idolatrous people for abandoning your faith. The fourth aspect, they are engaged in false worship. God will destroy their idolatry. Five, maybe most angering to the people of Israel with Amos' message might be verse 9. I wouldn't say it's the key to the passage, but it's definitely unique. God is making an example of Israel to those who are not God's people. He's saying, you know what's going to happen? When this destruction comes, even the even those who are not God's people are going to see what has happened because of your wickedness. It's going to be proclaimed in Ashdod and Egypt and Samaria, and they're going to say, man, that's I, I see what's happened there. They're going to see what God's people are so blinded to see. Number six, Israel's adversaries, and this is, this is just what he's describing, they will destroy Israel. The analogy of uh, you will be taken away with fish hooks. Some, and this is, you know, people disagree if this is an actual foreshadowing of uh, an Assyrian practice where they would take a string and string through the cheeks of their captives so as captives are led away, it mirrors that of uh, fish. Regardless, the reality is Israel will be uh, destroyed. Destroyed totally? No, actually. If you look at verse 12, as the shepherd rescues the mouth of the lion, two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed. Now that's that's not a comforting remnant. If I say, hey, uh, I'm not gonna uh, totally destroy your pet, you know, there there's gonna actually be a uh, an ear you can find. I don't think you'd be consoled at all. The fact remains is is Israel's Destruction complete? Is Israel literally to exist no more? No, but is it a very drastic uh, judgment that is coming? And the answer is yes. In other words, 
It's, it's maybe the least comforting way to say some of you will make it. You're going to make it like that le- ear that's remained when the lion destroys a lamb. That's what it's going to look like. So th- this is the portrait. Again, what we're trying to learn from decline. I know this is uh, maybe less happy, but this is still instructive. So the two issues, the six kind of, here's what's happening practical and theological. The problem is God. We see this practically. And the problem is God. We see it theological. Let's, let's look at practical. Amos is the, the, the constant thing. If you look at Amos is God's condemnation of, uh, there, you are unjust. You are exploitative. You are, you are literally stacking up not wealth in your house, but violence. And so there is a, just wretchedness about the society in Israel that God is pointing out. And that's, you simply can't avoid that in the book of Amos. And, and just an application is the Christian religion. Religion is no dirty word here. We're not allergic to that word at Crossway. It is practical. It has practical benefits. More than one Commentary maybe would say, if you wanted to say in the affirmative what you hear negatively in Amos, you might say from James 1, you know, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. That second half sometimes not thrown in as often as the first half, but affirmatively it's worth noting and it's so encouraging that you know what God loves to do among his people is he loves to produce good things, right? You can look at exhortations of love. We can look at the fruits of the spirit. God works compassion amongst us and uh, peace and patience and goodness and kindness. And these are really good things. But the the... Reverse, which is actually what we see here. Uh, a guy named Moyer, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. He said the, the image here, and a matter of fact, even in our new catechism books, if you look at the introduction, he makes the exact same point. Sometimes we think false religion or bad doctrine is kind of like a broken car. You know, if you, if you have good ways of thinking that takes you, you know, it does something and uh, the other is just broken. It does nothing. And he says that's, that's actually not a biblical picture of what happens. When Jesus declares you'll know a tree by its fruit, you know, he says, actually, the bad tree produces. <laughs> it still produces something, and that something is bad fruit. So bad doctrine is not the broken car. It's a cancer. It's a corrosion it's a, it's a poison that actually does things in the body. It doesn't do nothing. If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy 6. Or you can listen if it took you too long to find Amos. That's fine. 1 Timothy 6, and this is even the catechism book, talks about this. Would you just hear... Because this is the, the practical why you get 
this wrong, the, the, the practical is so relevant. It's so screwed up. 1 Timothy 6, I'm starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit, understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, excuse me, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You can't can't just say, hey, you know what, just do the right thing and it'll all work out. If you do the wrong thing, it's still going to have practical downstream effects that are bad. Now, the, the danger is that I've said, you know what, and, and let me say, as, as I have said before, I am, a, I am a practical person. Practicality is the world I live in. So when people, when people want to just applaud the impractical, I, I feel, I mean, I don't know what world they live in. I, 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 my family eats not by my looks or my personality, but by just solving practical problems. That's our world. And the Christian faith absolutely is good. It is good for society. As the, as the book we read said, the Jesus, uh, when he comes, it is the wealth of nations. So it is, it is so practically good, but it must be said it's not pragmatic. It's not mere what's useful is good. What's, what's, uh, the best thing is just what's going to be beneficial to me. It's not pragmatism. Amos is not a pragmatist. Like most of the minor prophets, his life was not improved. He was hated. He was not uh, well received. So this is, we, we would be in error to think because our faith is practical, therefore pragmatism is uh, kind of to be shot for. It's not. I was listening to an interview. I don't know if you heard of this. I think I did in passing in 2016. He was a Presbyterian missionary in Turkey, pastoring a small Presbyterian church, and kind of the politics in Turkey changed. He was imprisoned. This was in 2016. His name was Andrew Brunson, and I was listening to an interview with Andrew Brunson, and he said, you know, our our view of suffering can often be from people who haven't suffered in the way that we read about. You know, people, we may suffer for Christ in, in real ways, but it may not be imprisonment. And he said, here he is in a prison. He was imprisoned in Turkey for years. And he said, it was so much harder and worse than maybe I had expected. And he, uh, would try to remember Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand was the uh, man imprisoned, uh, a Romanian Christian imprisoned by the communists. He founded Voice of the Martyrs. And so this guy in 2016, 2017, he's in prison, and he's thinking of Richard Wormbrand, and Richard Wormbrand described other Christians imprisoned by the communists, and he said they went insane. 
they they lost their sanity. Now it didn't it didn't come back. It was permanent. And uh, uh, Brunson said, "Is there any? Do we have any place for that?" Uh, because Wormbrandt's answer was, "God found their insanity beautiful. That that to suffer." Maybe physically, maybe psychologically, but in a way that will not be healed apart from the resurrection is actually okay. And we have to have a, a, a place in our thinking for impractical ways in which we serve our Savior, in which we say, hey, I'm going to remain committed even, even when this is difficult and it is not pragmatic. If you want to go down just an interesting wormhole, uh, I had never heard of this sermon uh, 10 shekels and a shirt. Uh, Media Gratier, we've watched some of their stuff. They, they have said this is maybe one of the best sermons of the 20th century. And by, you know, so it's like 1960s. You can still hear, hear, hear a recording of it. It's a very bad quality. So you might prefer the transcript, but it's, it's just a guy who was, uh, he was involved in the Sudanese inland mission. And so eager to see results. And he just, he did not see them. And his whole sermon, it wasn't when he came to this conclusion, but it is about how he came to see, you know, God is not a means, God is an end. And we have to be comfortable with that. We must. And so it's this just incredibly great sermon where, where he's saying, what, what if we, what if I did that because Christ's suffering are worth whatever return he gets from our efforts. And maybe it is zero, but it will be what he designs and not for, from, from mine. So if you want a deep dive, go look into that. Ten Shekels in a Shirt by Paris Reedhead. Our religion is absolutely practical, but it is not pragmatism. That's the problem. The, the problem practically for the people of Israel was they had departed their God and it does produce things. So that's the practical problem, the theological problem. Uh, maybe the key to this whole passage. I've said nine is maybe would have been the most provocative to the people of Israel, but maybe the key. Several commentators said, said, if you want to know what's happening in Israel, you look at 310. And before you even look at it, you can kind of have your place there. You have to say, Here, here's the picture. You have Amos, and he's saying throughout, you know, here, here, uh, the Lord says, the Lord says, and here are these examples, and, and the Lord did it again. The Lord did it again, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. God is Speaking and he is speaking and he's giving them, uh, you know, examples to prove his word is right. And the problem is they do not hear from God. John said, I, I listened to it, so I may not remember everything perfectly, but do we hear from God? He, he speaks. The problem is not that God is silent. The problem is they just, they would not hear from their God. Verse 10 what's the result? They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. They do not know how to do right. They just, it's not merely, hey, I know what's right. I don't want to do it. They don't even know. They, uh, when you get this one piece wrong, 
There is no other peace that can fall into place. As, as Ray said, how, how can you have thankfulness when there's not a sense that I'm thankful to someone? Proud people don't say thanks. There's no, there's no thankfulness for a self-made man, right? So to, to get that peace is to, to get everything wrong. Calvin said this, there is no, as in N-O, there is no knowing that does not begin with knowing God. There is no knowing that does not begin with knowing God. If you get that, that piece wrong, the whole thing, and I know the, the trite or kind of, uh, hey, God is the answer. Jesus is the answer. This is the Sunday school cliche that you think, okay, okay, I, I think that's true, but how does that, I'm dealing with this, how does that help me? And the answer is because that's, that's, not, the, that's not the beginning of the conversation, I mean the, the end of the conversation, that's where it starts. You know, you don't, you don't say, okay, I'm just going to say God and then go on. It, it's, it's, I'm going to start from God and build everything from there. If, if one thing that appealed to me from Amos from the beginning is, I just feel increasingly uh, like America today is so confused in, in ways that to me seem so obvious. And, and so it's uh, how could we be so mixed up about so many things and marriage be what it is today and gender and chaos? And uh, what if, you know, I thought, just, just thinking about marriage, I'm not saying I would have been a, a movie star at 22, but as good as I would ever be is then. And now I snore, and it's like things are getting worse. I don't think the encouragement is, hey, Carmen, just learn to love this guy more. I'm going downhill. You know, it's getting worse. It's like you have to begin with if, if our marriages are going to be good, you start with what does God think about marriage and what is God's sovereignty for me to be with this person or to be in this situation or what does it mean for kids to see families and their parents as God sees it or our jobs as we say, hey, you know what, maybe everybody doesn't have an exciting job. I pick up trash. Work as unto the Lord. You know, you, you, you cannot miss that piece and then five things above the foundation, things be ordered correctly. They will never be. The problem is inherently a theological problem. There is no knowing that does not begin with knowing God. The problem is theological. I thought I'd end with this. I think it was maybe the Colson Center put this out. I thought it was so timely. And it made me think about this passage a lot. John Winthrop, he was a, a Puritan. Of course, he settles New England, and he's kind of famous for his City on a Hill uh, speech, which, of course, is a biblical reference. This is a part of his uh, sermon he delivered prior to the settlement here in uh, America, which was in New England. And the... Uh, Sermon was a sermon on Christian charity, and the whole idea was, hey, I'm, we're going to this new place, and we're 
We're seeking to honor God as we set up this, this new world. And the city on a hill, of course, people envision it as like, hey, we're a shining beacon and the Colson Center. And you can read the speech and see it's not merely that we're going to be, hey, we're going to set an example. It's because we claim these principles, we're going to be an example. And we are going to be, we're the ones. And, and again, this Amos was preaching to God's people. This is a message for the church. We're going to New England and we're saying, we affirm these things. And this is going to be on a hill. He does, of course, want it to have all those positive things that, that are a you know, shining example. But he also intends for it to be, if we don't, this is a public example that the world will see. And that is built into his uh, message, especially as you read the second half. So I'm going to end with Winthrop. First is Winthrop. The second is where Winthrop, he actually goes to Deuteronomy 30. And he, he says what Amos says, which will be, we will live and die by our relationship to God. It will be that from the beginning, just like it is for you, just like it is for our families, and especially just like it is for God's church. So I'm going to close with Winthrop. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. So that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God and all the professors for God's sake. We shall shame the faces of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we be consumed out of the good land whether we are going. And to shut this discourse with that of the exhortation of Moses, that faithful servant of the Lord in his last farewell to Israel in Deuteronomy 30, and he, he is tweaking this just a little bit. You can go read Deuteronomy 30, and it's a perfect passage to think about this. But he is using it in their context. If you want to go back and read, it's not this exact wording, but this is Winthrop. Beloved, there is now set before us life and death, good and evil, in that we are commanded this day to love the Lord our God, and to love one another, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his ordinance and his laws and the articles of our covenant with him that we may live and be multiplied, that the Lord our God may bless us in the land whither we go to possess it. But if our hearts shall turn away so that we will not obey but shall be seduced and worship other gods, our pleasure and prophets and serve them. It is propounded unto us this day, we shall surely perish out of the good land, whether we pass over this sea to possess. Therefore, let us choose life that we and our seed may live by obeying his voice and cleaving to him, for he is our life and our prosperity. Would you pray with me. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that we live in a land of relative peace. We do pray for those in many parts of the world where things seem 
where things are so difficult. We thank you, Lord, that we can come here in a warm building. We can be fed. And Lord, we are still encountering troubles, but Lord, may we seek to you. May we get our foundation of our lives correct. May we see the root, the, the source or, or, of all things are you. We cannot know what is good. We cannot have eyes to see apart from beginning with you, with your word. May we, may we hear it, Lord. May we especially, especially those who claim to be your people, may we have ears to hear. Pray you would do it through this church. I thank you for John and his faithful ministry to us, which is faithful not because of any cleverness of man. It is faithful because it is your word, Lord. May we never leave that. And may you give us those ears to hear in Christ's name. Amen.